everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we continue The Lost Hero, now entering the final chapter bonanza. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all right. I, uh, I, I got introduced to my dad's new girlfriend today. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been asked to uh, kind of um, show good faith and openness by sending her a message on Facebook just to say hello. Uh-huh. Uh, so I sent her an image of the very hungry caterpillar saying that he had died during, due to a combination of blunt force head trauma and suffocation. That's so sad. I know, it's very sad. In return, I received two grimacing emojis. <laughs> good I first don't... interaction. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that was directed at me or at the caterpillar or what, but I feel like this is the start of a productive and mutually beneficial working relationship. I have to assume so. You know, actually, the person who wrote that book, who made that book, uh, Eric Carl, there's a museum to him, like, right nearby where I live. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Actually, I almost applied for a job there, but I did not. Oh. Uh, Yeah. Very hungry, Jacqueline. Oh, God. Sometimes I really do get that way. (laughs) <laughs> how are you today are you very hungry i'm i just had a nice little sandwich uh so i'm i'm not feeling especially hungry but what i am feeling is hungry for extra chapters do you want to do like extra chapters this week maybe yeah i feel like maybe we should do six chapters instead of just four yeah and now that we've decided this i'm going to very quickly write the summaries okay done <laughs> This week we did six chapters, but I want to assure you listeners, just because we're doing more chapters does not mean that I will skimp on any of the detail in these in these summaries. Uh, you will be getting 100% of everything important that happens that you need to know. Are you ready, Jane? Thank you, Jacqueline, for your services. Of course I'm ready. All right. Chapter 41. Leo. While the gang hike up Mount Diablo, which is actively trying to swallow them, Leo builds a little toy, and then they arrive at Ensalada's camp, which has a bunch of construction equipment, and also Piper's dad is there. <laughs> Chapter 42. <laughs> Leo. <laughs> the fight... <laughs> Chapter 40... Oh, God. Chapter 42. Leo. The fight against Enceladus, the giant born to kill Athena, begins. At his command are a group of Gigenes, uh, six-armed Orthborn, who fought Jason and the Argonauts way back when, and their hatred of the OG Jason is stoked when the giant tells them that Tristan McLean is in fact Jason. The battle begins in earnest, and while Jason fights Enceladus and Piper rescues her dad, Leo kills a bunch of Gigenes with construction equipment. But he ultimately ends up in peril, which is when Piper cuts through the remaining armed, which is when Piper cuts through the remaining six armed ones and says that nobody messes with her friends. Chapter forty-three: Jason. Jason and Saladus fight one on one, and it's apparently not the first time Jason's fought such a huge foe, because the giant says he previously led an assault on, Ma- on Mount Othrus and single-handedly slew the Titan Creos. Jason doesn't remember any of it, but it confuses him enough to slow him down, and things quickly look dire when Enceladus' spear and Jason's javelin connect, and the javelin shatters in an explosion of energy, leaving Jason defenseless. Chapter 44. Jason. Jason's life is spared when Leo uses a hydraulic axe to knock Enceladus down, but it doesn't kill him. 
Only a god and a hero working together can kill a giant. With this in mind, Piper tricks Enceladus into turning around and Jason jumps onto his back, pleading with Zeus to send a bolt of lightning down even if it kills him, and Zeus obliges. The lightning bolt splits the mountain, and Enceladus falls into the chasm, swearing his brothers will destroy them all. As emergency helicopters begin to descend toward the mountain, Tristan McLean wakes up, and Piper gets ready to do damage control. Chapter 45 Piper Piper Charm speaks her way into getting one of the helicopter pilots to taking them to their dad's plane in Oakland. Tristan is incredibly traumatized, sobbing and shivering, completely unable to process that monsters are real or that his daughter is a demigod hero. Piper is trying to decide whether she wants to take away what she feels like is her first real connection with him, but pushes through it and starts telling him stories to calm him down, walking him through basically her life and adventure so far. He relaxes, but only a bit. As they pass over the hills into the East Bay, Jason is suddenly taken by a tunnel, the Caldecott Tunnel, leading, leading into Highway 24. Something in the hills unsettles him. Chapter 46, Piper. The group lands in the Oakland airport, where Coach Hedge promises to get Piper's dad home safely. He's a protector, after all. Piper has one last moment with her dad, and he lets her know that he loves her, and that he's sorry for sending her out of his life. He thought it would make her life better. She offers him the potion and tells him that one day they'll be ready to talk about this again. He drinks it, and Coach Hedge gets him onto the plane for home. Piper finally lets herself cry, but is interrupted by an iris message from Thalia, who's holding off the giant's minions at Wolf House. She tells Jason to remember their last trip, the park, Jack London, and though the sudden influx of memory shakes him, he knows exactly where it is, Sonoma Valley. They charm speak the helicopter pilot into handing it over to them, and Leo begins their flight. Uh, so, what did you think of the chapters this week, Jane? Endings, endings are hard, aren't they? Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like Rick Ryder and I, the, when he's doing like a big, I mean, this isn't the end of the book, obviously, but when he's doing like one of these big endgame battles, he'll either really knock it out of the park, or it'll just be kind of a dud, and there's no middle ground, it's just one of those things. Yeah. This, this to me very much kind of felt kind of of the same ilk as the finales in Kane Chronicles. I'm trying to figure out because like, is it the pace we're reading? Is it, like, would this feel cooler if we were just like reading half of this book in a day? I, I don't think it would. Cause I think even compared to like some of the other action scenes in this book, this is just kind of limp and lacking anything really kind of visceral. I think, yeah, it's. It's weird that, like, Leo has done really cool shit with construction equipment here here before, uh, but, like, now we're just kind of getting a worse version of that. Yeah, like, Leo soloing the Cyclopes earlier was a really cool scene, and him just doing kind of the same thing, but at uh, enemies that are just kind of clay, and therefore it it's just kind of seems a bit unsatisfying when he kills them. Yeah, it, it, there's no... That's not great. Yeah, it, it never super feels like anything bad is about to happen. Yeah, I wonder if it's, it's almost a case of like, we know that we still have shit to wrap up elsewhere, so Rick's maybe not putting in the work to um, add that tension. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the, the last, was it like the last eight chapters or whatever? Wait, no, last ten chapters? How many chapters are left? Uh, I think there's 10 chapters left. I'm going to have to take your word for it because I don't actually have my copy of the book on. Yeah, the last 10 oh, chapters. Right. Oh. 
It doesn't have a table of contents. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, the last 10 chapters, I mean, there's 10 chapters of the book left. That's like a good, healthy chunk. And I, I have to imagine this is just kind of a faux ending. Mm-hmm. But well, they certainly this- end one faux. Well, that's certainly true. And honestly, when it comes to Enceladus versus Jason, I think that part is much better than everything with the Giga knees. This is true. Although I do want to very quickly draw attention to something from this that really annoyed me. Oh, what's that? Which is that uh, Jason spends this entire fight uh, hacking Enceladus's ankles. Yeah. And like complaining about, oh, the, the earth was sucking me down and making it much harder to move. Now... If only Jason had access to some kind of ability <laughs> that would allow him to not have to deal with being on the ground. It could God. even allow him to strike somewhere that's not Enceladus' feet. It's weird because that's like how this ends. Like he gets up on Enceladus' back like twice, no, but, I think. No, no, but here's the thing. He doesn't even fly for that bit. You're right. He tackles Enceladus's legs and somehow knocks over the 30-foot tall giant and then climbs onto him. He doesn't fly. Scurries up him like a fucking Shadow of the Colossus guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very... I don't know why he's not... Like, is he not good enough at flying to do it or something? I don't... If it had just said that, if it was just like, you know, Jason could fly in a pinch, but he had no idea how to integrate it with his fighting style. Yeah. That is all I would need, but we don't even get that. Yeah, that's really strange. It... I can't even, like, bring it back to, like, oh, something, something, his fighting styles or whatever. <laughs> like, it just doesn't... There, like, there, there are select moments here that are pretty cool. Like, there's, the like, the golden blood of the immortals flowing out of him at one point. I thought that was kind of sick. And, like, I don't know. Like, there, there are bits and pieces, but ultimately it's just, why is this battle happening like this? Like, I guess there's a reason that this is, like, the chump giant. Is, is he the chump giant? I mean, he says he's like 30 feet smaller than all his brothers and weaker than yeah, all of them or whatever. Yeah, that's true. And like, his only thing is that he's like, oh, I'm the smart one. Which, I I, don't, I, I wonder if maybe like the some of the enemies that we've gotten previously are kind of getting in the way here. Uh-huh. Because like, the fact that Encelada has to be 30 feet tall, that feels like a consequence of, well, we've already had Polyphemus, who was a cyclops who was like, he was really big, but he was big enough that you could, like, manageably duel him, like, one-on-one. Uh-huh. One. Enceladus is a giant. He has to be bigger, but that kind of puts him in a weight class where, you know, unless you're flying, which for some reason we're not, it's difficult to do anything except just hack at his feet, and it makes for a kind of uninteresting battle. Yeah, it's a problem. And I will say that, like, overall, this is cooler than Polyphemus. Like, everything happening with Polyphemus, this is better than. But, I don't know, it just, it doesn't super land for me. I'm gonna, you know what, I'm I'm gonna really fucking slander this here and say that the, the part of the Polyphemus fight where um, uh, Percy and Clarice are like back-to-back fighting him and there's that kind of tension of, well, they're really good and they know how to fight him, but they're running out of energy way faster and they only need to slip up once was like cooler and more tense than uh, this scene. I that's true. Here's what I'll <laughs> say. Here's what I'll actually say. Okay. This is not meant to be the big final battle. This is meant that's to be true. the conclusion of Piper's story. Like Piper's big arc in this book so far. And I think for that it works. 
Yeah, I, I do I do like the stuff that Piper gets in these chapters at the very least. She doesn't have a lot to do in the battle itself, which is I guess kind of disappointing, although we we learned some like interesting revelations about Jason here that like I don't know, maybe we can talk about those a bit later. Mm-hmm. But it, just while we're on the topic of Piper, like she is I think this is hitting on all cylinders with everything like after the battle with her dad. Yeah, definitely. Like one thing that this this book's kind of done a couple of times now is um it'll kind of give you the big culminatory character moment uh from someone else's perspective and then it's in the aftermath that you get really get into their head and see what they're feeling about it uh-huh and that really works well with like because i would prefer to have piper's perspective when she's trying to comfort her traumatized dad than during the fight itself yes because like a lot of what she's kind of thinking and feeling there is a lot more interesting i think yeah, like, Piper, there, it's enough to say that, like, oh, Piper's off rescuing her dad. Like, we don't need to know, because ultimately the combat will get in the way of her, like, emotions about it and such. Which is yeah. what, like, we've become invested in. And so giving her, you're right, that giving her that space after the battle is a good decision. I I guess I just wish that, like, I don't know, I guess I wish the battle was more interesting. Yeah, it's it's whatever. Maybe maybe the battle that we're in for the wolf house will be like way better. Who knows? If Thalia's there, maybe she'll bring some of that fucking Titan's curse energy. Please, <laughs> we're in the, we're in the same location as the finale of Titan's Curse as well. It's all lining up. Yeah, that was a good finale. It man. was. Oh man. Uh I guess speaking of Mount Authorus, do we want to talk about whatever? like rev- the revelations we had about Jason here the growing mystery of his stuff yeah like th- there's some some tantalizing tidbits being left out for us here can we go over some of that can you go over some of those uh yeah i mean well the big main one is the idea that like so the the narrative that we've had up until now from camp half blood is that um after the battle of manhattan uh the titans who didn't die just fucked off and they don't really know what happened to them uh-huh and what we're getting now is that apparently that's not what happened. Jason uh, led a group of other demigods, presumably the other ones who are running around in purple t-shirts, uh, and like directly assaulted Mount Orthus and then fucking killed a titan himself. Which, did, did Percy ever actually directly kill a titan? I I think he did once, that really cool like anime fight. Uh, oh yeah, with Hyperion. Yeah. I think he killed Hyperion there. No, and okay, yeah. I need to look this up now. Wait, it's impossible It's impossible to look this up because that's also the publisher. <laughs> oh, no. He was trapped oh. in a maple tree by the satyrs and nymphs. So, yeah, I guess Jason is just straight up, like, more hardcore than Percy. Which kind of really fits. This is what you were saying before about, like, this is what we need from this amnesiac style of character. Yeah, definitely. It's these kind of tantalizing tidbits. Yeah, like, we were talking a lot about Jason last episode, mm-hmm. about how, like, I don't know, his mentality is becoming clearer, and part of that, I don't know, part of that is he's literally like, alright, now Zeus, protect my friends, also, feel free to kill me, I'll, you know, uh-huh. if, if the lightning bolt happens to kill me, that's fine, you know, and we made jokes about, like, oh, suic- like Percy is weirdly suicidal for, a, like, a child, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but like, Jason is just like very. 
he's way too free with his life here. Yeah, he is very much in that, like, I have to be heroic and sacrifice myself for the mission TM. So I'm, I'm glad that Piper has absolutely no fucking truck with that. God, yeah. And I, I did think, oh man, this brings me back to, like, how the battle was kind of disappointing. Because Leo shooting a giant hydraulic axe uh, into into fucking what's his name Enceladus Enceladus should have been a lot cooler than it was I think yeah cause that that should be like a payoff to well not even just like a cool culmination of all of the um, like mechanical fighting that he's been doing so far but it just kind of sucks and doesn't do anything yeah can I I maybe I'm like so silly I just completely missed something but uh-huh. like Leo builds a little toy yeah and then he's like this little toy will help in the battle what does the little toy do uh if I recall because I missed this on my second reading actually I remember thinking wait what the fuck happened with that uh but I think it gets in one of the pieces of construction equipment and like drives in the way or like runs over some of the the six arm dudes oh it's definitely piloting one of the pieces of construction equipment around I mean that makes sense. It, I don't know. It doesn't feel like an interesting enough detail. Obviously, we both missed it after like reading it twice. Yeah. So, I guess it just wasn't that important. But it felt so weirdly like, oh, he built this toy. What will happen with it? Oh, speaking of us being uh, silly and not paying attention to things. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We do need to recant a piece of criticism from last week. Uh, which is that we were complaining that the the bottom had kind of dropped out of the stakes because Zeus just like knows that Juno is gone. Uh, uh, we forgot that um, the driving force at this point was that like Enceladus had given them a deadline. Yes, yes. Uh, I w- I would say it's stupid that there were two ticking clocks to juggle and that meant that one of them kind of fell by the wayside. But also, we were wrong about that. We were wrong. Mea culpa. Mea culpa. My fault. My fault. My grievous fault. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Uh huh. Mostly Rex's fault. The other revel- the other big revelation about Jason here. Uh, it's not even a revelation. He's just like he keeps getting like I think it's really obvious that he has he's rooted on like he's rooted somewhere around here because he keeps just like recounting like oh that's where this street is that's where this shop is that's where this town is. He just stares at a tunnel for like half a minute as like it's a cool tunnel. I think that gives off. I think that has exactly the mood it's going for, also, and that's just like so perplexing, but also like weirdly mystifying that he's just like the description of him just like being befuddled by this tunnel, and so I don't know. Like, is Jason is Jason like the West Coast demigod to everyone else's East Coast demigod? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm at this point very much sick of this book, kind of playing coy with the fact that there is definitely like. A camp full of Roman demigods hanging around out here. Yeah, uh-huh. it's extremely obvious, and I kind of—it's been extremely obvious for a while. Even like, even with like going in, kind of already knowing that context because of our fucking logo. Uh huh. It kind of seems like something the book should stop treating as a twist. I don't know. May- maybe it makes more sense if you're a ten-year-old. That's maybe I'm smarter true. than the average ten-year-old. Who knows? <laughs> you know, Jane, you might be. <laughs> I've been saying it for years. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we're, yeah, we're obviously building to that, and I I remember as a kid reading this being very surprised, very excited. Oh, okay. I I don't know how I I mean, 
hopefully it'll be cool. That's all I'll say. I hope so. Uh, speaking of ideas that could be kind of interesting but aren't, uh, Enceladus being like the anti-Athena. Uh-huh. That's That feels like a concept that should have been introduced much earlier. And should yeah. maybe have been like... I feel like if he is like the anti-Athena, the, the form that this book should have taken is much closer to like how Kronos was like this puppet master moving stuff behind the scenes. And I feel like that's... It would have been a bit of a retread, but I feel like that's what Enceladus should have been if that's kind of what he's designed to do. Uh, and instead, like, the extent of his strategic genius is, like, take a hostage, question mark, profit. And, like, to be fair, that's that's all right strategy. But... It would like, be if he hadn't died. Yes. <laughs> is it possible that, like... You know, those moments we were talking about before where it's like, oh, is Kronos the master manipulator back? Could that have been Enceladus? Uh, I guess, because what, what what was that about? That was um, Aeolus saying that, like, he had felt that, like, tingling in the back of his neck and saying, like, and, like, someone going into his head and, like, using his worst instincts against him. That just really feels like a Kronos thing, though. It, it feels like... Like, it feels too similar to the way that Kronos deployed it for it to be anyone else. Uh-huh. I mean, I don't... Yeah, we'll see how it goes for sure. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I... Because we knew that the giants were, like, designed to kill the gods. Mm-hmm. I honestly think that, like... And I looked into the Greek myths. This is, like... I, I think it's very fun that this is just, like, of the... Like, in the mythology that, like... It feels very... I don't know, like for some reason it feels very modern to have like here's everyone's evil counterpart that is going to kill them like but apparently that is just like what was happening in the mythology or something like that the ancient greeks invented the thing where like every marvel movie just ends with like two guys in the same suit punching each other Uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh yeah that's true and what this does make me excited for is like seeing the rest of the giants though yeah, the, the, the def- there's definitely um, room in here to have, like, I don't know, interesting counterparts. Maybe, like, because the way that Enceladus is set up is very much like, oh, you know, he rivals Athena by being as smart as her. But maybe, like, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but, like, instead of being, like, as good at a thing as that god is, I don't know, maybe, like, the anti-Poseidon just, like, dumps sand on things. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't fucking know. The anti-Poseidon just, like, peas in the ocean <laughs> he throws car batteries into the ocean uh-huh <laughs> the anti-zeus is just like old man yelling at cloud <laughs> <laughs> he's just no he's just a dude with a bunch of lightning rods and he stands in the middle of the lightning rods and zeus can't get him <laughs> oh god that's really good i now i want like a series about like just, that's just like human people fighting against the Greek gods. Like that's like oh, you're throwing car batteries. You're being like, I don't know. You're, you're once again saying that you want Percy to go Kratos mode. I I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> but in really really silly ways. One hundred percent. Yeah. I like, but it's not just the like counterpart thing. It's the fact that like every giant we now know has to be killed by a combination of a hero and a god. Yeah, that seems. I mean, it kind of seems like it'd be easy, right? You just get Jason to like fly along a line of them, getting hit by lightning each time. Uh huh. 
Zeus like runs out of thunderbolts and it you know I don't know yeah it like it makes for like at the very least a kind of fun conclusion to this fight but it does feel like a very restrictive kind of win condition it does but that's kind of like an I think that could be an interesting restriction in that Mm. like now we have to figure out ways to combine different characters because we're not hopefully we're not just going to do Jason lightning bolt combo over and over again (laughs) which means that now we need to find ways for like different heroes maybe who have like different sorts of relationships with their parents or with other gods to to team up like that i hope so i hope that's kind of how it goes uh speaking of complicated relationships with parents uh should we should we dive properly into like the piper and tristan stuff from like the aftermath yeah i think so piper um Basically, the thing here, the the core of this is that Tristan is utterly traumatized. He's completely broken by this. It seems like maybe he was even tortured. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, like it's something that honestly I think is done really well because this is a beat that you often do. Like that has it's not an uncommon beat of like oh the 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 loved one finds out your secrets and they like they're they're shaken but they're happy for you tristan is so fucked up that he can't even like he like can't even smile about uh, uh, like he like relaxes a little bit he learns more he like realizes there is more to piper but like learning more about his daughter just like it doesn't make him happier at all he's just so fucked up about it and i think that's really effective yeah, the like the the extent to which he is fucked up is like it's just conveyed very effectively. Like I think it's it's the end of chapter forty five, where like uh, every, the conversation kind of trails off in the helicopter and they're just flying in silence for a while, and then he just like whispers, "Monsters, we live in a world of monsters." That's a really yeah, it's a really good ending to a chapter because that's also that's also when Jason is like staring off into the hills, so it yeah. really bolsters the mood. It's it, I, I that is one of my favorite like chapter endings we've gotten I think just because it's such a perfect line for this moment and um yeah I I don't know I just think the conflict of like is it like does she want to lose this connection in hopes of maybe being able to get it in a more natural way later on that's really heartbreaking I don't know. It's heartbreaking, and I was thinking about this earlier, it's even more fucked because it's, like, Piper has spent this entire book dealing with, like, quite a lot of pain because of, like, someone she loves having amnesia. Yeah. And not being able to, like, remember, like, the connection that she thinks they have. Uh, And now she is put in a situation where, after suffering with that, she is, like, having to consider inflicting it on another loved one and producing basically the same effect of losing that connection that they formed. That's a really good call. I didn't think of that echo, but like... Fucking hell, cut for a break. Honestly, yeah. (laughs) And like, the fact that that is what's happening only makes it like, I guess, better as a conflict. Mm Mm-hmm. But like, damn, yeah. I just... Piper needs like a couple of books off, I think. (laughs) She needs some R&R. You can get some short stories about her just like chilling out with her dad on the beach. That'd be good. <laughs> it part of it it almost rings to me as like this character is not cis hat style. Like uh-huh. uh, 
like coming out but then like uncoming out i don't know there's something oh, there yeah no I, I can see that you're right it's kind of just things kind of go back to normal question mark and nobody really talks about it yeah i am glad that like she didn't like give him the she didn't like have him drink the potion she like offered it to him and told him what would happen yeah, she didn't fucking roofie him like Aphrodite suggested. Uh-huh. <laughs> I am, I mean, there, there is an extent to which we kind of need to acknowledge that the way that Tristan's being presented here is kind of like, sometimes uh, you, you get PTSD, and that PTSD fucks you up so bad that you'll be broken forever and nothing will ever be good again. That's true. That is kind of what this is like. I... I guess... I don't know. Is it better because it's literally the fact that there are gods and monsters? And, like, does that does that make it better because that is such a weird and extreme revelation? Because this... Uh, I don't know. This is a series that often deals, not frankly, but, like, metaphorically with mental illness and trauma yeah. and stuff like that. So, you're right that it is kind of weird. It, it's just... Again, because it is a series that Light often deals with that stuff relatively directly, it feels weird that the call here is like, yeah, the best thing for Tristan is to fucking give him electric convulsive therapy until he doesn't remember what happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, a bit of an extreme one there. But I understand what you mean. I, I it don't I, It doesn't erase like the other good things about this chat. I just feel like we need to put that on the table. No, yeah, it's just I'm rotating it in my mind. Uh-huh. I don't know. I'll be thinking about that one for a while. I do have, like, some logistical questions. Yeah? Which is, I... Okay. The, the question that I've come away from these chat... Well, one of them is, um, can Tristan see through the mist? Huh. Because we've seen before that even in, like, direct mortal danger, mortals who can't see through the mist will just see something else. They'll see, like, a Nemean line in a museum as a fucking tank or something. And Tristan, like... Like, he wasn't seeing something, like, weird and explainable. He seemed to be, like, seeing something from Cherokee folklore. That That is true, actually. Which, that, se- that seems more along the lines of, like, what we got with, like, Hades, where it's like, oh, it depends on what you believe, what you see. I guess that could be, like, another form of the mist, you know? Like, I suppose Tristan, that's true. Tristan is someone who is specifically dealing with, like, when he's talking about how he doesn't want to deal with, like, gods and monsters and spirits, he's not talking about the Greek gods. Mm-hmm. Like, and so when he is confronted with that kind of thing, for which there is probably just literally no explanation at any point, like, going back to the, like, the stories that he does know, and that's how he rationalizes it, that's a more, that's honestly a more interesting way to do it for me than, like, Oh, he saw a guy who was hitting him or whatever. Yeah, he, th- he thinks he's in a CIA interrogation chamber. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Ash. That probably is just like, that's the only thing that his brain can come up with through the mist to rationalize that. No, let's not, let's not forget, though. Piper is just like, Piper's like destroying people's brains in different ways this chapter, these chapters too. Piper fucking... Okay, Charm Speak before was shown to be like, you know, it's just really good at convincing people to do stuff for you. Uh, in these chapters, it escalates to straight up mind control. A little bit, yeah. Which, 
I feel like we need to we need to have like Piper needs to have like an eye that glows whenever she uses her mind control powers. I feel like that's just something we need. She needs to have the Millennium Eye. Exactly. Yeah, like I it's it's and we know Rest it like Kazuki Takahashi. Oh god, yeah. And we know that it's a very um like powerful power, I guess, because otherwise how could she just like get a car dealer to hand her a car? But like I, I there's like steps from that to like, hey, give us your plane or like <laughs> like that's a lot. It's a lot. My I do I my head canon for how these powers work actually is um have you have you read the foundation book? I have not. There's a there's a group in the foundation books who are their whole deal is that they seem to be like telepaths with mutant powers. And they're actually not. It's just that their entire society is built around like the study of psychology. And so like they're so good at doing psychology that they can like read every single little thing you are and know how to like push buttons and pull levers in your brain like subconsciously to make you do whatever they want and that my head kind of is that's how uh piper's power works because she's like a daughter of aphrodite that's a really good head cannon. it's like if uh <laughs> it's like if cop micro expression training was real <laughs> fuck <laughs> god you're right it is god yeah, no, that's that's a good that's a good call because like I don't know like at the same time though she's not like offering people anything that would make them like especially want to do what she's saying. She's just being like, hey, she explicitly is like, hey, do you want to give an untrained, unlicensed teenager your helicopter for free? And. Like it seems like the pilot's brain is about to fucking split in half. Which yeah, the fuck the pilot is resisting is the thing. Yes, and so it really does. I don't know. This is a very powerful magic, is what it seems like. Like I mean, obviously, like oh, the main characters they have more powerful magics. Leo has his fire powers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, it's amazing how what Charmsbeak can do. If you are, it, it makes me wonder what it's gonna be like when she gets back and fucking confronts drew again <laughs> yeah it's it's a really powerful ability and what would be absolutely fucked is if she uses it like a few times in the first book and then that form of like kind of interesting mind control uh, is completely dropped in subsequent books and never actually mentioned again and you only really notice that like a couple of weeks after you stopped reading them you only then think about the fact that Hey, Abos only really used mind control like at the start of Red Pyramid, <laughs> and then never again. None of the other magicians ever do it. Oh God, he does do that, doesn't he? <laughs> I guess there are. It's a the lot same of... fucking mind control. It's the same thing where he's like, "I'm going to state something, and you're going to come to that conclusion without examining how you got there." You're right, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope it doesn't turn out that way. But you know what? It might. I feel like the, the Kane Chronicles kind of is living rent-free in my brain. <laughs> I feel it like really I can't help bringing it up at least once an episode. No, no, same. <laughs> it's a fucking problem that we have. <laughs> this I don't know. This was like, how long we do that? We did that like for like at least a third of a year. It, it makes sense. Yeah, I think we went, we were on those for like only slightly less than we were on Percy Jackson. <laughs> Because the Which books is, are a bit longer. Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
I'm mean, oh fuck, I was about to get into Kane Chronicles discussion. I can't do that. <laughs> I mean, like I guess there weren't a lot of just like people to mind control after that point. It was mostly conflicts against monsters of god and gods and stuff. But That's true. They, but yeah, anyway, anyway. <laughs> I what else do we have to say about these chapters? There's I'm sure there's a lot more. I I have a question. What's that? I I have a question which has me thinking about making a joke that is probably extremely inappropriate. So I'm just going to leave it unsaid. Uh, but um, the, the flight attendant on Tristan McLean's plane, uh, Piper says, you know, she's probably seen stranger things than a weird goat man working for Tristan McLean. And I'm like, bro, what what are you what are you doing on that plane? Just got a mile high club. Going going to the Mile High Club. I no, I'm not going there. No. Uh, it's it apparently apparently he's been doing fucking just like weird unhinged celebrity things, and Piper's never mentioned it. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Celebrities are all weird, weird freaks. This, this is true. I I I guess it does make some kind of sense because. Tristan mentions in these chapters, like, you know, I tried to insulate you from the, the craziness of Hollywood life. I tried to insulate you from the... F- oh, God. No, don't say that. <laughs> no, Jane. <laughs> I might cut that. Okay. <laughs> Another thing. You just bleep it. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You just bleep it. Who gives a shit? <laughs> I really love, um, like, one moment that is actually really good during the fight is Jason having a genuine, like, philosophical and existential crisis. Uh Uh-huh. Where he's thinking, like, if I die and I go to the pearly gates, do I get held accountable if I've done bad shit I can't remember? Wait, yeah. (laughs) Not even that. He's like, if I did, like, really cool stuff, will I still get, like, will I go to the fields of Elysium? What will happen? Yeah. It's just, I, I like the, I think it's just very funny that, like, he's about to die and that's where his mind is. He's fighting a giant, gi- he's fighting a giant that shoots Godzilla lasers out of his mouth. <laughs> I, I, I love the, um, the way it's capped off with the joke of, like, would he have to ask Zeus to write him a note that says, please excuse Jason from eternal damnation, he had amnesia. <laughs> that's a very Percy, that's a very Percy moment. It's, it's Yeah, it's exactly, as always, the thing that you want from this series of just, like, absolutely unhinged Greek god shit in a modern context. Yes. I, honestly, I think half of what made Enceladus more enjoyable to me was just that he's, like, such a weird, it's that he just seems like such a weird-looking fucker. Like, he's got, like... <laughs> He's he's just Godzilla, but like a human upper half. Like he has the like the dragon lower torso. Not like drag like he has like dragon legs and like he shoots the lasers. It it's so it's not what I would expect from like a weird Greek monster. I, I guess I don't know what to expect from it anymore. Yeah, that's I, I guess that's one of the advantages of like the stuff about the giants not being as well defined. Is that Rick Ryden can kind of just take whatever fucking liberties he wants and make one of them a half Godzilla man? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I actually didn't clock to that. I don't know. How, I read these chapters twice, and it confused me both times when I got to the part where it was like, and the dragon scales on his legs. I assume it was like explicitly described that that's what they were, and I just somehow missed it both times. It was, yeah, I think. Okay. Coach Hedge has a little like kind of his own little mini arc here. 
I was about to call Coach Hedge a waste of space. <laughs> uh, okay, you go first then. Well, I was going to... He, he feels incredibly tacked on because uh, he has never really affected like any battles or fights or anything like that. Like He's provided a little bit of exposition one time, and other than that has felt very much like a played straight comic relief character, which would be great, except I don't think he's very funny. <laughs> He's not super funny. The only thing that really works here is that he kind of realizes like, oh, I am useless, which is a sad (laughs) realization to make. But he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be a protector. That's what I'm good at. I'll excuse myself from the plot now. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And honestly, I, I did find that part kind of like sweet and sad. Just like. I am an old man. I, I guess I'll go back to protecting instead of fighting. That is that is true. I, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if, like, either an editor told Rick Riordan to add Coach Hedge, or Rick Riordan was just like, okay, I gotta add a bit more comic relief. Because Jace, Jason does his, like, his funny man thing, but, like, all three of the main kids are, like, justifiably fairly miserable and going through it quite a lot. And I wonder if it was maybe a thing of, like, the, the tone is getting a bit bleak. You need to put in some someone funny. And hence Coach Hedge bolted on at the last minute and, you know, written out of all the fights so Rick doesn't have to redo those bits. I mean, Leo can only crack so many jokes, I guess. He can only crack so many jokes, and even the jokes are underpinned by the fact that, yeah, this is a coping mechanism for dealing with the fact that everyone leaves him. Yeah. <laughs> trying to think of, like, a... I just don't. I we maybe we've grown past the need for a comic relief satyr in our groups. The thing is, like Grover was also a comic relief satyr, but he had like, a, he was a major component of the story. He had like a big arc. He was very helpful in ways that weren't to do with like direct fighting, and was still felt like they were impactful. And Coach Hedge just has none of that. Coach Hedge literally just. I think you're right. It it honestly does feel like he was just added in in a later draft because like every single fight like oh he was out eating grass oh he was knocked out oh he passed out oh he was in a cage like it's very weird in fact you know even like i was about to say you know maybe the one scene where he justifies his existence is um when he he flirts with the storm spirit in aeolus's palace and like kind of gets them out of that jam but also, I, I put it to you that you can see the, 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 it's like papered over the cracks that are still visible of what that previously was because she starts flirting with Jason first. Oh, yeah. And I think originally it might have been a case of uh, she has a thing for Jason and that's why she helps them. I, I could see that. I don't. This is my new conspiracy theory. <laughs> I We have to invent at least one conspiracy theory per book. <laughs> Like, and mine is that Coach Hedge is fake. Coach Hedge is not real. I mean, to whatever degree of realness, you know, this is not a pipe, etc. This is not a satyr. This is a man who screams die at things. This is Rick Riordan in a funny hoof suit. No, he's busy writing out the audio logs from King Chronicles. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, rest in piss to another uh, extremely cool weapon gone before its time. Yeah, what the fuck? Why is Jason's weapon destroyed already? Is he? Gonna, the, I hope he gets it back. I I also hope that he has to, he has to get like a cool reforged version at the end of the book where there's like a, a visible like weld line down the middle of the coin or something. 
Yeah. Because, like, first Backbiter gets basically no play and then is turned into a scythe. And now this gets shattered at the end of the first book. I will not stand for this. Rick Riordan just loves destroying cool weapons. And it makes me so, so sad. The only one that has lasted a significant amount of time is Riptide. And Riptide is awesome. Riptide is awesome, but also out of the picture right now because Percy is off doing fuck knows what. Yeah, man. I, I, I do. I, first of all, I want Jason to get its, his weapon back and then I want him to name it. Yeah, because just calling it the lance or the sword is kind of, yeah. Yeah, we do get a bit of Catoptrus play here. But That's true. Not a ton. It's basically just like a cool, kind of cool moment of Piper like ripping through a giant, like a, one of the Giganese with a... Giganese. I've deliberately yeah. avoided saying the name up to this point in the episode. I have a pronunciation guide here, but even the oh, with the with the pronunciation guide, it's just hard to say. It's Giganese. 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 Okay, I guess that's not so bad. Yeah, it, it could be worse, but also, nah. They basically just exist to be like... You know, wait, fuck, I just realized. What's that? They're literally like the um, the cannon fodder monsters from Power Rangers. Oh my god, like, you're right. Like the putties. The, the, like the they're fucking even... putties. <laughs> like they're just there to occupy everyone else while Jason has his fight with Enceladus. This honestly would have been a much cooler fight if they're doing like the Power Rangers, like like the episodes of Power Rangers where they're like unmorphed and they're just like doing like you, it's just you can see that it's just like the actual actors doing like gymnastics <laughs> at enemies <laughs> with like slightly shittier versions of the monster suits. I think that would have been really good. Fucking Leo makes some like spark packs to put on them so that when they hit them, they can have like the big explosions. Yes, like the when you punch their, like how when you punch the putties in their chest or whatever they die. But, <laughs> God, that'd be really good. I I want just like a more Power Rangersy version of this entire fucking series. God, that that would be the dream. Oh, would would Percy be the Red Ranger? I don't. He hmm. has to be the Blue Ranger. You have to make him the Blue Ranger. You do. Annabeth, I guess, is maybe the maybe the Red Ranger. Yeah, I can see that. Or actually, I guess Clarice is more associated with Red. Yeah, but she's but not also, really a leader she, type. She's, she's only important in our fan fiction. She's like like in Time Force when like uh like there's a second Red Ranger. Oh right, yeah. Because he plays like a he's like the Quantum Ranger. Because she's off in her own fucking series half the time. Uh huh. It's like when the big battle Beetleborgs like side premieres on why well, I, I should just stop talking about Power Rangers, but I do love talking about Power Rangers. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck a Beetleborg is. You don't know about the big bad Beetleborgs? No. Oh my god. I'll talk after the show. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to compare the Beetleborgs to a villain from the Raiden verse so far, which would you say is the most like? Um Wait, sorry, I'm I'm cutting this off. <laughs> you remember how there were the I I really thought the like we're like oh there are people with multiple arms I really thought it was just gonna be like the hundred handed ones making a, an appearance. Yeah, like we we I guess there was only one left, and the the only continuity where there's like a bunch of them was the movies. Yeah. Which I don't know. Make the movies canon. That's what I say. 
<laughs> you know, we love the movies here. <laughs> was I'm I'm kind of forgetting now. Was the thing with the hundred handed ones that they fought against the giants? Uh no, I think they fought in the Titan War. If on the Titan I, War, okay. I don't think we've heard about the giants before now. You're right. You're right. So I they I I think they could have been like put into play here but i guess i guess like these guys have history against jason and the argonauts also the mm-hmm. original myth so i sent you this i think but the original myth you mentioned in, it but involving you tell people involving the gigany giganes are is so fucking funny it's uh, time to, to return to uh, a long neglected segment jacqueline's mythology corner that's right a pretty short one this week but okay picture this jason and his brave crew of argonauts go Not to skeletons. a a mythical island full of full of daring do and a bunch of giants uh with six hands the the Gigenes, and they do battle with them and very shortly you're like ha we won after you know killing a couple of them and uh-huh. they leave but then they're like wait where's heracles <laughs> and they they sail back presumably like months later after they realized he wasn't like drinking with them at the bar and you know they months I, I don't know, maybe years, maybe weeks, who's to say, maybe days. I, it takes a long time to sail. That's true. I guess it's just like sailing around Greece, though, so who knows. And Heracles has just been stuck on this island the entire time fighting Gigenes. <laughs> and he is fucking, his beard has grown out, and he's like, oh, I could really go for killing my wife and child right now. And he, and he does it. But but after they fucking carpool him back to the Greek mainland, uh-huh. he keeps that murderous rage up the entire time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Maybe that happened before. I don't know. God, but that's yeah. the reading like reading just the original versions of Greek myths is always so fun because like whenever you read like like stuff like Rick Ryden books or you play like a modern game like Hades or something, and there'll be like it'll be a specific interpretation of what happened. It'll try to put it in some kind of coherent order. And then you'll actually read a Greek myth, and it'll be like, uh, yeah, these two normal dudes fought for 30 years straight without eating or drinking. Yes. Uh, Why? Fuck you. That's why. Because it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Or it'll be like, it'll be that, or there's the alternate version of the myth, which is exactly the same, except they just like slap each other once. And there's no explanation for why there's that discrepancy. That's yeah. I have. Do you know much about there? We don't have any of this in the Rick Riordan series, I don't think. But like, do you know about uh, fuck? What's he called? Kukulin? Is he the fucking? Is he the Welsh king who like killed his dog? I think he's like an Irish mythology guy. Maybe he was a Welsh king. I don't know. Uh, actually, it does look like there's a dead dog on the Wikipedia page. So maybe. Uh. But I just learned that, like, in in the stories oh, no, about I'm thinking him, of a different thing. Okay. I just learned that, like, in the stories about him, like, one of the things... Like, he was just, like, a normal guy. But whenever he got really mad, he went into, like, body <laughs> horror mode and became a body horror monster. Wait, what kind of body horror monster what are we talking here? Are we talking, like, werewolf or... Well, okay. Let me read this to you. And maybe I'll cut this all out, but it's so fucking cool that I need to just read it to you. Uh-huh. Uh... So, when Kukulin wakes up and sees that the boy troop of Emain Maka have attacked the Kanakht army and been slaughtered, he has his most spectac- spectacular reestrad yet. Uh, quoting here, 
The first warp spasm seized Kukulin and made him into a monstrous thing, hideous and shapeless, unheard of. His shanks and his joints, every knuckle and angle and organ from head to foot, shook like a tree in the flood or a reed in the stream. His body made a furious twist inside his skin, so that his feet and shins switched to the rear and his heels and calves switched to the front. On his head, the temple sinews stretched the nape of his neck, each mighty, immense, measureless knob as big as the head of a month-old child. He sucked one eye so deep into his head that a wild crane couldn't probe it onto his cheek out of, the, out of the depths of his skull. The other eye fell out along his cheek. His mouth weirdly distorted. His cheek peeled back from his jaws until the gullet appeared. His lungs and his liver flapped in his mouth and throat. His lower jaw struck the upper a killing, lion-killing blow, and fiery flakes large as a ram's fleece reached his mouth from his throat. The hair of his head twisted like the tangle of a red thorn brush stuck in a gap. If a royal apple tree with all its kingly fruit were shaken above him, scarce an apple would reach the ground, but each would be spiked on a bristle of his hair as it stood up in his scalp with rage. He was trained in martial arts by Scat Hatch, who gave him the spear Gay Bulge. <laughs> what? <laughs> Is that where we end it for today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a pretty good on episode of Unwise Girls. They just kind of like talked about a different mythology series a different (laughs) mythology for like five minutes and (laughs) it's very Uh, important that you we all know that he could do that incredibly fucking metal transformation and that his spear was called gay bulge yeah i'm not making this up (laughs) oh god oh god yeah i think that's gonna be the end of it thanks for listening folks thank thank you everyone for putting up with our bullshit our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean Vice Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our cover art is by uh, at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are uh, proudly hosted by the Moonshot Network. There you can find all sorts of wonderful podcasts. And if you'd like to reach the show, you can check us out on Twitter.com slash UnwiseGirls. There we've got links to all our various ways of contacting us, our personal Twitters, our email, our Discord server. If you want to support the show, you, know- you can go to... What's up? I, I'm just realizing, I don't think our email has actually been on the Twitter for like a year. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> I'm sure you can find it if you want to. But if you want to... <laughs> Wait, oh shit. Okay, well, we'll fix that. Uh... No, there's no space. There's no characters left in the bio. <laughs> oh no. Well, if you want to support us, you can go and get us more space in the bio. You can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls. Or uh, leave us a five-star rating interview or tell a friend. But also, you can monetarily support us at Patreon. Patreon.com slash unwisegirls. For a dollar a month, you get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep. Uh, on the uh, last bonus episode, uh, we talked about some absolutely fucking rancid Homestuck pages. So if you would like to hear us just fucking groaning our way through andrew hussey's extremely early 2010s idea of what tumblr users are like uh that that's that's for you uh also we talked about uh the amazing early 2010s overhyped piece of shit bioshock infinite uh-huh <laughs> uh and for five dollars a month you can get the discord roll of venus's chosen 
you can get all the bonus content and you'll get a nice special shout out at the end of each episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank Tana, Mercy, Veronica, a friend, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye bye. Bye.